I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's, Let's go. go. So how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was fantastic and it was fantastic because I did not cook anything. I didn't cook anything. I didn't even cook my award-winning macaroni and cheese that I don't mm. eat. Wow. Um, I, I, in fact, my favorite thing that happened to me on Thanksgiving, um, actually it was the day before Thanksgiving, I was laying on the couch, binge watching The Crown, mm. which I love. And um, somebody was like, well, girl, let me let you go. Cause I know you are probably still cooking. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're just laid out. Baby, if I if if that person could have seen me in that moment and the expression <laughs> on my face, I was all the way up under some covers. I had all the pillows. I was off last week, as you recall. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was all the way like chilling. I had a onesie on. Wow. <laughs> I was chilling. So yeah, no, we went over to um we have some really good friends. Um who lay out a big spread every year. Uh, my husband's fraternity brother, he cooks everything um, mm. and loves to cook and is a great cook. So I purchased a cake from one of my friends who makes cakes. So I supported a small business. Mm-hmm. Yay, go me. Nice. And that was my offering. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. Did. What about you? Uh, it was excellent. I, I recognize the complexity of the origins of this holiday. But for me, you know, it's always been a nice time to always come back to family. So usually that's in Houston or in the past it's been in Chicago. We did one year in Baltimore, but we always get together. And this year was no different. You know, I slid right on in there from the Bay Area right as the cooking had finished. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> In part, because I get intimidated. There are a lot of excellent cooks in my family. And and to me, I'm just like, you know, everybody has a role to play. My role is not in the kitchen at this time. I think some people just have the gene. Because the thing is, the gene is not the ability to cook. I'm a smart person. There's really not (laughs) going to be any sort of recipe you're going to present me with that I cannot figure out how to make. This isn't the issue. The issue is that I do not have that gene that, that makes you enjoy watching people eat what you cooked. Like, I don't care. I, like, <laughs> and, and if anything, the longer it took me to prepare it and the faster you eat it, the madder I am. So like, <laughs> I, I need your pace at eating what I make to be commensurate <laughs> with how long it took me to like cut up, clean all these greens and all this stuff. No, nah, man. No. Nah. So, well, my husband has that gene. He has the he has the gene where he wants to like, is it salty? Is mm-hmm. it, how's the flavor in it? What do you think? Mm. Yeah, he gets that from his mother. I don't have that gene. (laughs) I have a a recommendation. I just finished listening to the audio book, um, Viola Davis's Uh, Finding Me. Baby. Have have you listened to it already? I didn't. I didn't listen to it, but I read it. I actually picked up the book 
I think right after I saw the woman King. Mm. Okay. You need to go back and listen to her narrated. Her, her narration is sublime. First of all, if you're a doctor and you care about, you know, trauma informed care and adverse childhood experiences and the imposter syndrome and overcoming racism and working through racism and all of the things that like we deal with the same barriers that we deal with family, the complexities of family, you know, moving to another step in your career and succeeding, but still having family around you that has all the complications of of the complications of the black family, you know, mm. in the US. Yeah. I mean, it is uh, like it is. I just loved it. I loved it. But I loved her narration in particular because I'm a narrator snob. Yep. I'm aware. <laughs> I know. I know. Huh? Like you're like, dang. Lisa, but like, I'm on a podcast with you. I like your voice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really glad to hear that. <laughs> I do. I love your voice. Um, but oh my God. Yes. I, I co-sign on that. And I actually would listen to it again audio wise because the book was very moving and I can only imagine what it would be like to hear in her voice. I don't know if with the audiobooks you also get kind of the the inlays with a lot of the the pictures that come with no, it. No, you don't. So, you know, one plug for the paper copy is that there's yeah. some really really moving images that you can see um, from throughout her life. Sweet, I also sweet. have a recommendation. As I mentioned last week, I'm getting ready to go to Cuba. I just finished an American history of Cuba by Otta Ferrer. So she like puts an unflinching eye on the impact that American policies from the beginning in the wake of the American revolution and the impact of the slave trade and how that shaped policies in Cuba up until now and past the cold war. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to take into account, but you know, mm. any history that we've been given or not given in our normal education is worth reading and the history of, of Cuba, particularly through the lens of an American, or I should say someone born in the United States, because we all can talk about America as if it's synonymous with the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a really important history to take into account. And I think particularly for anybody traveling there. Mm. So I'm, you know, I'm excited for what else I'll get to see and kind of get to interact with with folks who grew up there and check out some of the history in real form because, you know, that's my my other nerd activity is, uh-huh. is history. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we, we, your, your, your listeners know that you like to nerd out. So. <laughs> yeah. If they yes. can see your face right now while you're talking about this. <laughs> I know, I know. I go down the rabbit hole, I'll save all my other recommendations, which include a lot of documentaries. I'll have more to report on when I get back. So just a heads up, next week will be a bye week. But it will be a bye week. It's not a bye week because of Ashley. It's a bye week (laughs) because I am on the hospital service and for the wellness of myself and my patients. And the fact that Ashley's not going to be editing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're going to let y'all have a little bye week. That brings us to where we're going next. Mm-hmm. And where are we going next? Where are we going next? Tell us All where right. we going next, Dr. Oh, McMullen. I, I thought we were just going to chat for the whole episode. Oh, no, 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 no. Y'all, it is your lucky day because <laughs> you will have to savor for the next two weeks Interplanet Janet herself, <laughs> <laughs> the history buff extraordinaire, 
also known as the Dr. Ashley McMullen, who is going to bless your eardrums with a story. Wow. As I sit back and sip this water and this afternoon coffee (laughs) (laughs) and soak it all in. Uh, you better not edit that out either. Oh, <laughs> See, it's funny the person who doesn't edit but still <laughs> contains editorial rights. You know, that's all good. Yes, yes. So, sis, tell me what what is the what? The what for this episode is going to be awareness. Awareness. I like that. Yeah, we haven't used that one before. I I hope not. So back in. I think this was in September, I was invited to speak at a conference for Black physicians at um, working at Kaiser, and particularly Kaiser throughout Northern California. So Kaiser is like a, a private health system similar to like Kelsey Siebold in Houston, or uh, I don't know if there's a, an equivalent in Atlanta, um, but you know, it's a well-established group of comprehensive healthcare providers. And, you know, this was a conference that was planned and developed largely from the leadership of a Black woman who I admire very much. Her name is Naila Thompson, and she's an internist at Kaiser Oakland. So shout out to Naila. Not only did I get invited to speak, I got invited to stay and and hear all the different um, speakers, which was really uplifting. But I think more than anything, I don't think I've ever been in a room with that many Black physicians at one Mm. time. Mm. It was really, really powerful. She ended the conference with a talk about healing. Mm. Throughout her talk, she at one point posed a question. The question that she posed was, when was the time where you first realized that you were Black? Mm. I was struck because I knew exactly when that moment was for Mm. me. Mm. I think this must have been (laughs) in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. I was in Houston as I am now, and we had just moved there, maybe not even, maybe like a a two or three years previously from where I had been growing up with my grandparents in Chicago. When I was in Chicago, I lived in a multi-generation household. I had, you know, my my mom was there, my uncles were in and out of the house, my grandparents, of course, were there, and, you know, I um, didn't live too far from my great-grandparents either, so I was very much exposed to a lot of family and a lot of family, of course, who look like me. And my um, school that I went to there was also very integrated. So, you know, before I had moved, which I was still pretty young, before we moved to Texas, I didn't have much awareness of color. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when we moved to Houston, I know that my mom was looking at public school systems that were good. because that was kind of the priority in terms of trying to find a, a place not only where we could afford to live, but also who's going to have decent schools. And mm-hmm. so the neighborhood that we ended up moving to ended up being predominantly white, which was different from what I was used to when I was living in Chicago, but still hadn't quite reached the level of maturity to understand the difference fully. And so I remember, uh, gosh, this must have been maybe in first grade. Uh, so I was maybe what, like, 
seven years old, six or seven years old. I had attended a birthday party at this place called Leaps and Bounds. It's mm-hmm. like that place with all like the padded like jungle gems. It's yeah. probably like super jumpy, unsanitary now. <laughs> jumpy castle place. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, just germs everywhere. But it was a really fun place to run around and you know, it was a popular place for parties. But for whatever reason, that particular party, they were having um, like an art contest. Mm. And so I forget like what mediums were used, but, you know, for seven years old, I had, I had some talents. Um, So I was a little (laughs) artist. And so I I entered the contest and and did my thing. And um, yeah, uh, a week or so went by and my parents got a call that I had won the contest. Mm. So I was super hyped because this wasn't just like, you know, a pat on the back or a certificate. You actually got like $200, Dang. to go to Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah. For a kid that you might as well have hit the lottery. So can I just I say just... for a, for a grown up, if you give me $200, <laughs> yeah. <but> okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, this was like, it was a legit prize. Okay. And so um, my, my stepdad drove me back over to the place to get my prize. We walk up to the, the counter or whatever, and basically told this woman who was working there. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to remember this is a long time ago. I know that she was kind of middle-aged white woman. My stepdad explained to her, like, hey, we're here. She won this art contest. We're here to pick up the prize. And I remember her, like, looking down at me and just being, like, very kind of taken aback and a little hesitant in her demeanor. And at one point asked, like, you won this contest? This was you? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. I'm like, give me my prize. (laughs) But I felt my stepdad kind of stiffen a little bit. I didn't really think too much of it at the time. So we get back in the car after I'd finally gotten my prize and getting ready to, to head over to, to Toys R Us. And um, I don't know, my, my stepdad was a little quiet on the, on the drive over. And finally, he kind of looks over and says to me, you know why she didn't think that you completed that art piece, right? She looked at you like that because you were Black. When you think back on these things, you don't always recall the details, but you recall vividly how you felt. And I remember feeling a mix of sadness and anger because I didn't want to believe that that was true. I think I might have actually said, like, I don't, that's not true. Like, Mm. why would she do that? To his credit, I, I recognize what he was trying to do and trying to really just introduce me to the realities of what, you know, was not going to be the last time that that happened to me. But At the time, I kind of took that in a way that just felt jarring Mm -hmm. and just really upsetting. Also, part of me, even though I didn't want to believe it, part of me also knew that. I, I knew that I felt something shift in the energy when I ended up, you know, at a school where I'm one of maybe two Black children there. Mm. something shift in the energy of how my teachers would talk to me versus some of my classmates. Mm-hmm. You know, we often try to identify people or behaviors and, and label them as racist or not. But the truth is like, this is an experience that starts very, very early on. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. you know, our awareness might be shifted at different time frames along the spectrum. But for me, I was seven years old. Mm. I wish I could say that, you know, I moved on, I found my confidence, I knew that, you know, it wasn't me, it was them and all this other stuff. But that stuff, it gets into your spirit, like it really mm. becomes um, hard to separate from as a child when you're kind of exposed to that over and over and over again. And again, you know, I, I'd never, at least growing up, experienced a lot of overt racism that mm -hmm. many folks are exposed to. And I know, even some folks listening to this might be questioning, just like, well, how do we know that it was racist? Like, maybe she just thought that the art was really good for her a child, which it was not that good. Like, it was definitely <laughs> done by a seven-year-old. But I think that's, you know, it's kind of beside the point. I think there's just a clear difference that occurs, and it impacts everybody, um, whether you're on the receiving end or whether that kind of stuff is just getting reinforced by the lack of exposure to folks who are different from you. Mm. I remember that moment very vividly in terms of how it made me feel mm. and recognizing that I'm different, I'm Black. And in many ways, that's going to make my life harder. But at the same time, you know, as, I, as I've grown and, and found my, my, my folks and, 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 the, and the beauty in my identities and my experience, it's, it's made my life indescribably richer. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. But, you know, I, I imagine that my story is not that different from many Black folks who grew yeah. up in the United States, recognizing that, you know, you're not born Black. The world tells you you're Black, yeah. and you learn that very early on. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just uh, kind of reflecting on that experience that you described and envisioning you as that little girl looking up like run me these coins yeah. for my for my award. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, this lady is looking at you like you. I, I'm actually sort of stuck in this piece of you being robbed of your innocence. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, one of the Grady elders said something like this to me once before that like the very best things that we can do for our children is just you know show up, love them love them, let them know that they are loved and they are accepted, but to keep them innocent for as long as you can, not keep them from doing for themselves, but, but try to keep them innocent. And, you know, as you were telling the story, you know, I grew up in a, a, a very black neighborhood and went from there to a, to an HBCU. So I, I, I can't quite put my finger on a, on, on points where m my innocence was lost around race, but I can, think of all the moments in time where my innocence was lost over different types of things, like mm. seeing adults as, as broken people, like watching somebody, like an adult let somebody down or just seeing somebody like do something mean or terrible or seeing the awful aspects of human beings, just seeing the brokenness of human beings. And I think that's mm. what racism is. Mm -hmm. It's just the broke, it's brokenness, you know, um, because that woman, whether she, meant to come across as she did or not was unkind to a child and she learned that somewhere mm. you know i think if we all started to just think about all these points in time when we were robbed of innocence about something they always kind of stand out as jarring like oh my gosh and mm. the younger you are the harder it is to kind of figure that out right yeah 
I, th I think that I always knew I was black more because I was kind of just in this environment where it was just talked about all the time because everybody was so black that everybody was like, yeah, oh, you yeah. know, so I, I was yeah. very, I was very aware of colorism. Mm. Now, my brother was, you know, had a darker complexion than us. And I remember some of my cousins had darker complexions and how that used to be like a, an insult, you know, to be like blackie, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I remember that. I remember the, those with finer hair, you know, were sort of coveted a little bit more. But I especially remember when I got bused to a middle school uh, mm -hmm. where the kids there were not all black. I, I remember going to a pool party and jumping in a swimming pool and, and how my hair turned into a big giant Thundercat Afro. <laughs> <laughs> and how, <laughs> like, I, and I don't know what, what it was. I think it was that me being around all of these white girls somehow made me forget what happens to black hair when it goes into water. Mm -hmm. I, I really did. Like, I just jumped right on in with everybody. And I'm like, oh my God, look at your hair, Kim. <laughs> oh my God, it's so puffy. <laughs> and I was like, it is puffy because yeah. if I had been around all black kids. It wouldn't have been, a well, first of all, you wouldn't have been in the water. No, <laughs> or somebody's mama. Because it was like two mamas out there. Somebody's mama would have said something. Uh-uh, call your mama. Mm -hmm. Uh-uh. Well, let me cornrow your hair down for you. <laughs> but yeah. that's a little less traumatic than a, a lady <laughs> looking at you with a stank eye. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you you made the the point too in terms of where aspects of you know these experiences can come through because you know this isn't a referendum on texas which is another kind of easy mistake to make in terms of where these things occur yeah because i have felt plenty of racism living in the bay area california oh yeah and i think again it has a lot to do with exposure and differences and and dismantling narratives around people and identities that are different from you Mm -hmm. You know, and those types of things occur both in and outside of communities of color. Black people are just as prone to racism and, and white supremacy and metting out that that damage and that hurt in the same way that other people are. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's crazy, too. It's like people also oftentimes they, they just they just know what they see and don't a lot of times that's why microaggressions are micro. Right. Because people aren't necessarily looking to like dog you out. They just sort of do things and it often can take you like years to look back and be like that was not cool yeah wait a minute i need to go back and cuss her out <laughs> oh but yeah, yeah. Th these narratives we buy into them too mm -hmm. and i guess it starts at a really young age right because then you yeah. start to think like well yeah maybe maybe i don't belong here mm -hmm. maybe i shouldn't have won Maybe yeah. they, maybe I won because they thought it would be good to give it to this little black girl. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, those types of things, those types of narratives, I mean, they play into our psyche, our relationships, the things that we apply for or don't apply for. What do you think about your, um, your, your stepfather telling you that at six? Yeah. I, I appreciate what he was trying to do. I think I needed to hear that. I needed to understand but I think what was missing from that awareness was the fact that there was nothing wrong with me. Mm. 
that there was no need to change on my part, that people's attitudes and perspectives, particularly when they're hurtful, mm. are a reflection on their brokenness. Mm. And also putting it into context that, you know, this isn't one bad woman, like making a mistake, like these are misconceptions that play out across the board. Because like I said, you know, it wasn't the only time I'd experienced something like that, particularly in a predominantly white school and the predominantly white institutions that I would inhabit later on. And the important thing is to, to know yourself, to be confident and grounded in yourself and to be surrounded by people who, who love you and, and see you. And I think that, you know, while I had that to a certain extent, I think it needed to be made a little bit more explicit, given the things that I was going to come up against. So what would you tell six-year-old you, if you, mm. could, if you could tell her what she needed to, what you wish she'd heard? I would give her a hug and I would say, F that woman. But... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> would you say F or would you use the F bomb? Oh, no, we would, we would go, go hard because I would oh, have okay. heard it on, on all those rap lyrics that I didn't need to be listening to, listening to <laughs> it. six years old anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, for real, for real, I think that you know, obviously I ended up my, my beautifully black queer self uh, at this at this juncture. But, you know, it's been a journey of undoing a lot of the narratives that I took on within myself and towards other people. Mm. And so I wish, looking back, that that process may have been started a little bit earlier in terms mm. of recognizing that the things you might experience at school, the things that you see on the TV are not representative of what's missing from you. It's what's broken in society. Well, I'm sorry that your, your innocence got taken from you a little bit sooner than it should have because you just didn't have the tools to, to process that, you know? Because mm -hmm. everything is so black and white when you're little, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like good and bad, yeah. right and wrong. So somebody has to be wrong, so it must be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it must be me, it's my fault for not being, you know, looking like Shirley Temple. <laughs> um, you know who that is, right? I, I'm aware, yeah. Okay, I just had to make sure, <laughs> you know, I'll be having to check in with you, you know, that Stevie yeah. Wonder moment with us last week. I, oh, girl, I know, I know. I, I appreciate you always being a guiding light for me. And I will say that I, I saw Black Panther a couple of days ago and just like, oh my God, the, the beauty of representation and mm -hmm you know, black women and science and all these things, it gives mm -hmm. me a lot more peace and hope that, you know, if there's another little girl who wins a contest and is insinuated that she shouldn't have deserved that award, that she won't have to look very far to see herself represented in spaces where people think she doesn't belong. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And also that we don't have to fight each other. A lot mm -hmm. of times, we're in the same fight and I'm, you know, it's, it's good when you figure that out. Yeah. I won't say more cause it'll spoil Wakanda forever for you. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about it offline. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sis, um, you have the very best time in uh, Cuba and um, thankful for you. Yes. Love you too, sis. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, 
Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.